Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. As always for our monthly book review podcast, I'm joined by Amanda Robbie. And uh, for once we are not in Amanda's vicarage where the usual distractions are the dog and occasionally other animals. Uh, but we are in my little house and it is just possible that at any moment a tractor may drive past the window about three feet from where we're sitting, uh, in which case we may have to pause and start again. <laughs> Good. So, Amanda, tell us what we've been looking at this month. It's a little bit different from well, what yes, we normally not, do. Well, yes, not really a book, a sort of magazine, a sort of journal. Um, we had, we were sent eight, eight... Seven, I think. Seven, seven editions or seven numbers one to seven of primer yes big thank you to the fiec for sending us those i'd I'd asked for the latest one really as a review copy and they sent us very kindly complete sets the full rainbow the the full rainbow they are they look great on a shelf yes they do look very good on a shelf (laughs) of all the issues that have come out so far and so what is primer well yes the first edition does sort of have a, a little outline in its epilogue doesn't it uh the headed the church needs more theology and theology needs more church yeah so as you say they, they're kind of magazine-y journaly kind of thing i mean they they, they are beautiful they they yeah beautifully books. produced lots of white space great graphics of, yeah. all that sort of thing and each one contains i don't know six or seven different articles some of which are theological uh there's always one that's a, a sort of historical theology um so something from from calvin or luther or some other uh, theologian of the past um and then some practical applied uh, articles as well yeah. um it's it's a little bit like um oh, what was that one produced from by the australians the briefing yeah it's not dissimilar but more heavyweight theology be yes. warned <laughs> i think that's right and i think it's it's helpful just to have a look at what they've said in in that first issue yeah. about what this is for because it's not aimed primarily at the sort of interested layperson is it no and and i'm an interested layperson who has talked a lot of theology over the years and parts of it so that it, it Parts of it were quite heavy going for me, and I yeah, yeah we're not really. They're, what they're aiming it for is what they uh, call the pastor theologian, yeah, um, and a, a particular definition uh, even within that. So they're uh, thinking about how theology should be an enterprise of the church, and yet in our contemporary society is very often divorced from the church it's done by academics in universities and colleges and some of the limitations of doing theology in that kind of way the sort of reliance that the the, the pastor who's struggling with all the practical matters in church and then goes to a conference and gets his theology dumped on him from an expert who's not in his situation but knows the theology and that separation yes is um the primary saying is is not is not healthy and it's not healthy and we can't rely we can't rely on academic theology because they won't be answering the right questions that the church needs them to answer and and as you say they won't necessarily have that perspective so he discusses three different kind of categories the local theologian mm. so the pastor as the, the person who is expert in their local setting who knows their people knows their yeah. community knows their needs and applies theology to them and then also what he talks about as the popular theologian and i think we have quite a few of these in the uk who are the people who sort of take 
academic theology and rewrite it for the yes, interested so actually, Tim Tim Chester, who we've been reading his book, Enjoying God, is very much in that. Um, exactly. Mold, he was exactly who I thought of. But I mean, yeah. there are plenty of other yes. people doing those sorts of things as well and taking the best of scholarly theology and saying, and this is how it applies at a more uh, popular level. But um uh, in this article, uh, David Shaw, um, he's the editor of Primer, sort of drawing on work of Gerald, uh, I don't know whether that's he stand or high stand from America, <laughs> um, also suggests that what we need are what he calls, I think, ecclesial theologians. That is to say, pastors who are actively involved in doing theological research themselves, yeah. so that it's not all one way from the academy to the church, but also out of the church into yeah, the and I think there world. is some of that. Um, certainly, some of our the folk in Fellowship of Word and Spirit, are doing that sort of theology as they do local church ministry. So it's not that there aren't people doing it at all, but I think the idea yeah. is that more people should be doing it, and let's encourage people to do it. And I, th- I certainly think that when my husband came out of Oak Hill, quite a while ago now, fifteen years ago or so that there was an atmosphere that people wanted to carry on doing theology yes obviously the realities of local church ministry sometimes suck that out of you but um there is a sort of yeah i think that's right i think people who've had a glimpse of how theology and the church relate Mm. do genuinely see the value of it and want more of it um and that's something that at church society we have always tried to encourage so that's why we have an academic journal theological journal churchman in addition to our more popular level things and you know and i hope you find that if you read articles on our website that there is a mix of stuff which is maybe what he would describe as the popular theology but also people who are pastors people who are in church ministry writing things from a really um serious theological perspective thinking them through for themselves so that's what primer is so we have been focusing our attention on the most recent issue which is called show and tell the meaning and the role of apologetics um and it does I mean, it is sort of a book of two halves, yes, I think we could say. Absolutely. I had I had only read the first half up to this morning. And, and you were and slightly like, daunted by it, I was it, a little I bit overwhelmed. But then I read the second half before I came up. Yeah, so we will talk um, about the first half as well. But it is, I think that is fair to say, the, the first half is the sort of uh, theological heavyweight, yeah. and then the second half is more applied. So it begins, there's an introduction uh, from David Shaw, just uh, what... Uh, apologetics is and why uh, it's an important thing and then the first real article comes from Dan Strange so people might know Dan Strange as someone who lectures at Oak Hill in culture religion and public theology Um, and his article is an unholy mess how our view of human nature shapes apologetics um what what do we mean by apologetics? What is what do they mean by apologetics? Well, he's, he's he's got a list of apologetic families, but basically it is that um, making an apology for the faith, isn't it? It's it's uh, showing why Christianity is reasonable. Yes, yeah, so not apologising for saying sorry, but yes. Showing... I mean, I liked he he quotes this definition from Scott Oliphant, okay. but yeah. Christian apologetics is the application of biblical truth to unbelief, yeah. and. That that is, I think, their working definition through most of this volume. I think I was slightly uncomfortable about that because I think apologetics is also for the believer. Yes, so it's explaining why why this aspect of our faith, which we haven't really got our heads around, 
is also reasonable yes I exactly agree. so um so well, maybe, I, but maybe then that means that we have unbelief in part of our faith so maybe sort of, so something like that and then yeah. he's very clear as you say he talks about these apologetic families and he's very clear he says i'm not going to argue for a new family or join a different family or whatever i'm just going to say i think the presuppositional family of apologetics is the best uh, yeah. uh way of doing things um and it is certainly a reformed uh, way of approach to apologetics and so presuppositionalist apologetics if you can even say it it's about understanding worldviews understanding our own worldview as christians but then also understanding the worldview of people who are not christians and helping them to see what is their framework what is their belief system what does that depend on where does that come from yeah it's it's that um it's that sort of um apologetic where someone you ask someone to explain what they believe and then you ask them why yeah because actually when you get down people maybe don't actually have a framework on which exactly and there's a great example of that it's not actually in this chapter but um uh somewhere in the book um with respect to apartheid and someone's having a conversation um in the era of apartheid and the person they're talking to says you know it's outrageous they treat black people like dogs mm. and 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 yeah. he says well why is that outrageous but he says, what he's like, well no i agree with you it's wrong yes. but i wonder why you think that and the person he's talking to who's not a christian has no answer can't actually explain why there he thinks there is a difference between human beings and other kinds of animals and we yeah. should treat them differently yeah. and that's presuppositionalism is helping people to see the inconsistency and incoherence and inadequacy of what their actual worldview is um so yeah so dan's chapter i i think dan's article is is probably the The scariest (laughs) (laughs) i mean it has the most long words you said you know the sort of most bits in the the green so they they have this very so in the first chapter i have to say i felt slightly um uh, duped by the, the funky layout so <clears throat> it's got this lovely magazine layout with interesting co- sort of color things taken up in color and mm. illustrations and as I started re- I was like oh this looks like it's going to be interesting and it's all yeah. cut down into bits with quotations and then I started reading it and I was like oh my goodness like, this yeah. is really hard for my head so it's more i think as i was reading through this what what i thought this was more like is maybe a textbook um but you know the kind of textbook you'd be reading in your second or third year at college rather than you know giving to your sort of gcse yes absolutely but But it it is looks like a gcse top it does you know it's got the little bit okay here's the definitions over here here's a quote with little nice and it is quite good because of the some of the things which are more difficult and you might be like what on earth is that they have they are putting definitions in so there's sort of an assumption that you may not understand and not know things but then and I also, one of the things I do really like is um, the way they've dealt with what would normally be footnotes or endnotes is actually those are just in the margins. Yes. In a different colour and font, um, yeah. but they're right there. And if there's an online link, there's a link to that yeah. as well as whatever. And it, so it's, it's easy to use and, and then in they, that sort of way. And then they do have some further thought and discussion questions. So if, if Ros and I had just tackled one article, if we just tackled this one article <laughs> rather than the whole journal we might have been able to dig down into the questions yes and I think that's interesting because I was thinking about what sort of context might you use those and I wonder if it's the sort of thing you might do for example on a church staff team yeah you might as you say just read one 
of the articles yeah. a week or a month or whatever and then talk about those questions together yeah because I'm, I'm just looking at the questions that, and that actually the questions are quite um get quite practical towards the end how do these ideas shape our expectations and methods in evangelism so like a mm-hmm. staff team or also we um, we've mm. discussed earlier, a, a, a renew group or a preaching group that you have together yeah. or a, a group of pastors that you meet with yeah you probably wouldn't do this in your bible study group no. but but there definitely are contexts where that would be valuable so we move on from dan strange the next article is i thought it's really interesting kind of article it's basically a review article mm. um looking at four different books and the ways in which um they advocate uh, different uh ways in which Christians can be engaged with culture. Mm-hmm. So there's Bill Edgar's book, Created and Creating, there's Ted Turnow's book, Pop Apologetics. I can't say that, Popologetics. Popologetics. <laughs> um, one I'd not heard of, but but I think you had, Amanda, Gregory Kugel's Tactics, and then Esther Meek, uh, Longing to Know. So different kinds of books. But I, I like that he's doing more than just reviewing those books. He's helping... Uh, to draw out some themes and some ideas that come out of those books for how yeah. we can engage. The, this culture. article did really strike me, and particularly, I, I've I've got a copy of Tactics out, and I'm trying to encourage um, my husband to read it with our two sons, who are 16 and 14 now, who are both engaging quite a lot of apologetics with their teenage friends. Um, yeah, our youngest mm. is doing has been doing quite a lot of apologetics in his RE lessons in a you know proofs for the existence of God that sort of thing and identity and yeah, is is interested in these ideas and I I was sort of torn I was thinking oh would this be useful for him to to read this article I was like no it's too heavy but it yes. has lots of ideas which I would love for, for him both, to think yeah, about for both, both, both of them, them yeah. both of them to engage with I their sister as well right. but she's uh, yeah, yeah she's at a different sort of stage but yeah. um. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, again, that will be a really useful article to read as someone, if you are a pastor, if you're in church ministry in some kind of way, to think, oh, yeah, actually, the book I now need to read is this, this or that. Yeah, it it was interesting. I turned over a few pages. Um, Okay, now, moving on. I really enjoyed this, but I think this was was perhaps not your favourite, Amanda. So one of the things we said in Primer is there's always an article from historical theology. And what we've got in this edition uh, introduced by Bill Edgar. So Bill Edgar teaches at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. Um, and he's introducing an article, uh, well, sort of an article, extracts from... Yeah, he's commenting on it. So sort and of... commenting on, which is nice. So it's not just here's the thing to read it yourself, but the sort of helps yeah, all the way through. Yeah. From Blaise Pascal. Now, people might know Pascal from Pascal's Triangle that we all learned at school. Do you not learn that? No, I'm sure you did, Amanda. I probably I'll, did. I'll draw I... it out for you later. Um, <laughs> but also uh, from Pascal's Wager. Yes, yeah, so I that's... did know about Pascal's Wager. Yeah, so it's sort of the... Um, he's a really interesting character to pick, I think, because he comes sort of at the beginning of the Enlightenment, mm. and a lot of his contemporaries are moving towards a putting all your faith in reason yeah. um, kind of understanding. And Pascal is not arguing against reason, but he is arguing against rationalism, that is, say, putting our trust in our reason. Um, and so there's lots of really interesting. Yeah. So what quotes. his his his. Mm. his Ponsay number 183, two excesses to exclude reason, to admit nothing but reason. So yeah. he's that sort of trying to find that way through, um, uh, you know, think uh, using reason but not letting it exclude faith. Exactly, which, you know, stands on a long tradition in Christian scholarship. You know, you think of um, Anselm of, of faith 
um, oh, I've forgotten the quote now, but anyway, faith, faith and understanding. Here's a quote about that that's very good. Um, you know, it's not a new thing. Yeah. Um, but obviously at the point of the Enlightenment, when suddenly there is this huge explosion of, of rationalism, um, I think it's really interesting to read somebody who's de- dealing with that from a Christian point of view. Um, and so, you know, some really interesting quotes here. Yeah, it is sort of commonplace book, isn't it? The, exactly. The, the so few really pithy lines and then some other chunkier things which I sort of I gave up towards the end. Yeah no that's fine and I mean exactly some nice little quotes and some little comments in the margin from Bill Edgar explaining where they fit and and why they're important Um, and then the sort of chunkier bit is Pascal's wager and he's explaining what that is and why it's significant. So Pascal's wager um, is sort of the sort of common understanding of it is the you know, choosing to believe in God or choosing not to believe in God, what is at risk in making that choice? And obviously... If God does exist, you've chosen the best way and eternal life. And if you... If he doesn't exist, you've chosen a good way to live. And you've lost nothing. But if you choose not to believe, potentially you've lost everything. Um, So that's sort of how it goes. But but actually reading Pascal's explanation of it, um, I was really helped to understand that it it does come in a slightly different context. And so this is what um, Edgar says about it. He says, the premise of the wager is not that we, not only that we must choose, but that we have already chosen. Refusing to make the right choice is in fact a wrong choice. And I, I think that's very helpful. We're not in the position where we're able to just sit down and say, well, am I going to choose to believe in God or am I going to choose not to believe in God? Effectively, you have already chosen None of us are in a position of not having chosen. Yeah, but he says reason alone cannot make such a decision, doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> um, Bill Edgar. So that that idea, actually, it's a, it's about God's choosing us, isn't it? Yeah. In the end. And exactly. And so for Pascal, this is not simply a business calculation, which is often how the wager is described. Is this is very kind of rationalistic putting your money on a roulette wheel kind of thing, but a moral investment. Refusal to believe is foolish, driven by sinful passions. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I mean, you know. Yes, I. I it, that was that was what faced me for the first thing to read this morning, and yeah. I just couldn't quite face it. So maybe if I had a little more... I think all of these articles are the sort of thing that you would set aside in one evening to read. Yeah. Don't tank through it like you might do a biography or something like exactly. that. Exactly. And that's the point. It's not a book. They are, you know, each is a self-sufficient article. And so, yeah, there's a different thing. Anyway, then I think we do get quite a change of gear. Yes. With Jonathan Lehman's oh, article, yeah. We Come in Peace. It's very funny about alien, sort of Christians as aliens. It was a very good sort it's, of... It's uh, wonderful, isn't it? Imagine thousands tens of thousands of alien ships suddenly appearing around the globe and he sets this kind of scene of what the aliens come in and do and then what do those aliens say we're not from another planet we're from the earth's future we represent a day when one kingdom will cover the whole planet like the waters cover the sea and he goes on with this this sort of analogy and you realize obviously these aliens are christians and yes they they love they commit to each other and watch over each other they love and make sacrifice for each other they don't kill their babies or their elderly i think there's a yeah. really yeah, so exactly. Sort of what, and you realise are they alien? It's and, not. It's not just an analogy. We are aliens and strangers yeah. in this world. Yeah. We are citizens of a future kingdom. Yeah. And actually, our, how we live uh, as the church 
is the message that we have. And so that's his sort of point. Yes, he's talking about the only he very little green explanations. Yes. And, oh, the only one. Well, one and of lots ones, of quite good diagrams yes, as well. Um, is talking about inaugurated eschatology. Yes. So how we live now, given that in the future we are going to be fully in the presence of Christ and yeah, yeah and some great stuff about how church works yeah That's and church is is the apologetic yeah it's the most powerful apologetic that we have um so what I'd like to emphasize in this piece is the apologetic role the life of a church plays in giving credit to our message yeah. the most powerful apologetic will not generally be a philosophical argument which is perhaps a relief to some of those who struggled with the other mm -hmm. articles in the book. Um, it's not generally a philosophical, philosophical argument. It will be the loving and holy life of people and community in church. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly true, isn't it? We see that as people come to faith. You know, I think of the people who've come to faith in my church over the last year or so, it's not been because we've had arguments with them and persuaded them into believing. It's because they've seen how the church family works yeah. and they've been drawn to find out what. Yeah. what and that's a challenge them. to those of us when church isn't working well. Yeah. And, you know, and it, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes there are things, barriers to church um, yeah. working um, in the way that God calls. And, you know, we have um, the gospel which creates a church and this is his cycle, displays, give credibility to and protects the gospel. So this cycle. Mm. But if your church is not displaying the gospel or not, you know, giving credibility to the gospel, the whole cycle Everything falls collapses, down. Yeah. And, you know, we could say that in our denomination, you know, where yeah. we're having those struggles at the moment. So I thought yeah, he very said some really helpful things. And I liked um, how... Um, he uses, I mean, I think you could do other examples as well, but he talks, he uses one specific example of the doctrine of justification mm. to, you know, not just as a sort of general, the church displays the gospel and protects the gospel, but how it can do that of particular doctrine. So yeah. justification by faith alone should create and does create people who live just and righteous lives. And that is what then displays and gives credibility to the doctrine of justification by faith. Yeah. And and I like that you can see how particular aspects of the gospel, not just a generic idea, can be displayed in particular aspects yeah. of the church. So if we life. believe particular aspects of the gospel they will produce a fruit in us exactly. in bearing with that of a truth. particular kind of yeah. church and and how important therefore it is that we don't let go of some of those doctrinal aspects because that will change the kind of church that we become and therefore the kind of gospel that we display um so, so, and some really practical um, lessons from that at the end um, I guess a note of caution this is uh, as we've said uh produced by the FIEC. So one section he has on there is to do with membership and discipline, which obviously will Much look... Much as we wish we could exercise these things in the Church of England, we know these are impossible. Well, they're certainly impossible in the kind of way that he describes yeah. there. And I think we have to think about how do we put that into practice yeah. in Anglican churches, which will look quite different um, from some of what he's describing uh, as possible there. And again, some really great questions uh, at the end of that Um about, you know, uh, in the face of objections to biblical teaching about sexuality, for example, what do we need our churches to look like that show that? And then what concrete steps could your church take towards those? I really liked one of his example was to do with um, uh, how we understand uh, gender differences. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and his basic point is the best way to show that the church's understanding of, of men and women 
uh, and complementary relationships is to have a church full of strong, confident, happy and engaged women. Yeah. How is your church doing that? It's not enough to say you're complementary. Yeah, it's not about writing things and reading things. It's being those being things. Being those things, exactly. And I thought that was a really... Really so he strong. Talk, he talks about the sort of, the, what's he called, the centripetal and centrifugal mm. aspects of church. So the ones that inside, so we're building that church, which is is strong and confident um, but we're we're also then going out. We're mm. not just looking inwardly mm. um, as we as we absolutely. Um, um, and so then we move on yeah. to Gavin McGrath's article, "Getting mm. Behind the Wall on Preaching and Apologetics." And I feel it's interesting to note, although this is uh, an FIEC publication, uh, at least two or three of the articles were uh, written by people in Anglican churches. So it's you know looking more broadly for their um, pastor theologians, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Gavin McGrath, thinking about how some of what we've uh, talked about in terms of what apologetics is might affect the way in which you preach if yeah. you're a preacher. So, he wanted to talk about particularly apologetic preaching, um, so not a sort of topical apologetic. Yes, it's not how you write a sermon on has science disproved God. Yeah, that's right. But it's all to how how to preach every t- every sermon in a way which helps people to deepen their faith or come to faith yeah so one of the things he suggests um uh, that this can do is is help preachers anticipate what it will be that prevents people from hearing and responding to god's word and yeah. and so again i come back to the point this is not just for unbelievers there will be believers in your congregation who need this kind of apologetic and i think it's a good practice for any preacher to sit down and think okay this is what i think the bible is saying this is how i think it applies to the people in our context what will be the things that will get in the way what will be the stumbling blocks yeah. to people understanding and hearing and applying that um and that's what he calls thick apologetics yeah and he um recommends some um some books to read on that mm. what what things stop people reading god's word yeah um and including one that i'm reading at the moment um the james oh. smith you are what you love yeah absolutely so those th- that you know so again, which idolatry stops us hearing the lord doesn't it basically. exactly taking that further yeah. um good and then just a lovely lovely section right at the end <laughs> this was best <laughs> I, th- I mean it kind of was in lots Buy of ways and read the last, last i really chapter. enjoyed yeah. this so um it's called answers on the ground and, and all i've done is interviewed people from three different churches about uh, the apologetic challenges of the places where they are and what they are doing about this. One of the things I loved about this is the churches that they had chosen. Absolutely, not Oldham, not Everton, and in the city Manchester. In the city Manchester, so none of them your typical suburban yeah evangelical church. These are not churches where they're dealing primarily with students and middle class professionals who are engaging at that sort of I, very hypothetical intellectual level. I, th- I think level. the third, the, the city church Manchester is maybe more a bit that. more. Yeah, they're a little bit more urban and hip. Yeah, that's but true. But certainly um, the first two churches. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so um, what, were the, what were the encouragements to you from well, this section? Well, yeah, it's great. So, yeah, Stephen Neal is someone who I sort of read regularly. He's a, a he's in a, a not dissimilar context to ours, you know. So he's the one in Oldham. He's in Oldham and he's in a church and they've got three different sort of slightly irreconcilable groups, um, South Asian um, Muslims, Muslims uh, who are Sunni, um, Iranian asylum seekers who are Shia and and then white working class British. So some of those multicultural issues, how you how you reach out to people who have different cultures. And yeah, just um Yeah, and very different things. So, you know, the South Asian Muslims actually yeah. 
you know, the doctrine of the Trinity is is generally the big thing. For Iranians, really interesting that often he says the big problem is that they're so keen to convert to Christianity and you have to sort of deconstruct how much of that is because they're seeking asylum and yeah. how much of it is genuine faith. Um, and then um, the white working class, class issues uh, with, of justice and suffering. Yeah, yeah and um, sort of being a victim culture. community. So yeah. Um, yeah, really, really helpful. And um, certainly for us in our situation, yeah, I was thinking, yeah, those, those are all areas that we might be thinking through. And very encouragingly books that we've already read in our yeah house, so. and i liked it's talking about not just kind of what answers you might give but how are we doing that so grace yeah, um forsyth who's in everton talking about the kind of um groups that they have the ways in which they're reaching out to people um how they you know we want people to see that church is a hospital for sinners so we join community groups and mm. shop locally and send our children to local schools and yeah. build genuine relationships yeah. in that kind of way so it's sort of what are the resources but also what are you doing um yeah. and yeah lots and lots of great ways of, of applying i was interested by matt waldock's stuff mm. as well for city church so they're doing doing church a bit differently um quite long sermons same length of an average episode on netflix yeah uh, but also 15 minute refreshment break in the middle of yes, their church I was service um an fic church you're using liturgy creeds and ancient prayers you yeah know? everyone's going back to the 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 book of common prayer in the end so in the end amanda are you glad that i made you read this (laughs) i am i think i wasn't glad that uh, went before i started reading the second half but i uh, it has been there's been some useful things and i think i may go home and stick it under the nose of of my husband who has you know uh but also it's the sort of thing where you might get a set for church i think Mm. and i um and might encourage maybe your PCC, to read some of the more accessible articles. I think that's right. I think it's a great thing if you're somebody who is a church leader Mm, to read yourself and maybe with your staff team. But there are certainly parts that you might pick out and encourage other people in your church to read as part of a conversation. You might use it to springboard some of your thinking to lead your, you know, if you wanted to discuss how are we going to reach our parish exactly um some of these ideas might then apply into your area and you just filch them and, and even as a, a sort of reference tool to have i think a good thing you know an issue comes up that you haven't really thought through to be able to say i wonder if there's an article on this and i don't know if there is i think i should have looked up whether there's a, a sort of proper index uh, of the issues yeah, online because I, I think that would be a really useful thing to have to be able to to kind of then make it a reference tool for the future they don't come out very often once or twice a year okay something so, like that. yeah so the next one i'm just looking at the back there may may 2019 on the doctrine of god a double issue including Gerald, our very own Gerald Bray. There you go. And Nick, and Nick Tucker also on uh, on Church Society Trust. So it's a bit of a church. Is Chris dead? <laughs> Chris has said it's on Churchman Editorial Board. There you go. So that is yeah, basically um, <laughs> a Church Society edition next time. There around. you go. And um, while we're mentioning the good Gerald Bray, I guess I just want to say as well, I mean, I do, I do think Prime is a great thing. It's not your traditional theological journal. I think it is trying to do something a bit new mm. and a bit different. Um, I do also want to commend people church um which obviously is particularly anglican theological journal which this is not um and dealing with things in a slightly different way and we are doing uh, as i say what we can to try and encourage more of these 
ecclesial theologians. One thing we're doing at the moment is running the Gerald Bray Essay Prize. So we're inviting people who've not previously contributed to Churchmen, um, not previously contributed articles, fine if you've written a book review or something like that, um, to submit articles um, this year. There's a prize, there's a competition. Um, you can find all the details about that on our website. But if you're somebody who's in a church, particularly, maybe you're a few years out of college, maybe there's something that's been on your mind for a while that you thought someone really needs to write about this, or something that's come out of your experience in parish ministry that you thought, I really wish there was a good article about this. Now would be a great time to actually try and write that. Um, and we, we would love um, to receive those. So I will put the link uh, to that uh, on the blog post that goes uh, with this podcast. Tell us what we've got next time, Amanda. Oh, um, we have got a biography of yes. our most esteemed and learned. Oh, she's just going to get the book. There we go. Uh, JC Ryle. There we go. New biography has come out of J.C. Ryle. A Tender Lion, The Life Ministry and Message of J.C. Ryle by Bennett W. Rogers. Um, it's American, so it's, the spelling's a bit dodgy. But it I'm, is, but it does come it with a very... commendation on the back cover from Lee Gators, Director of Church Society. So we're expecting to enjoy it. Yes, I we think. are. A, a marvellous bearded um uh, portrait on the front cover there you go so that's what we'll be uh, looking at next month uh, do you tune in again for that thanks so much Amanda Yay!